You're listening to Gibraltar Stories, a podcast which shares interesting stories connected to Gibraltar. My name's Lindsay Weston. I've been living in Gibraltar for almost 10 years, and during that time, I've discovered more and more about this tiny and very special place. Its history, its people, famous visitors, and its role in important events on the world stage. From Darwin and the Neanderthals to James Bond, and from cybersecurity to fashion design, Gibraltar may be small, but it has a lot of stories to tell. This skull, Darwin held it in his hands, and he, he talked about the, the magnificent Gibraltar skull. And so it was almost complete, so it was almost giving people an idea of what these people were like and the, how different they were from us. The, the strategic position always matters in terms of how um, others view Gibraltar and the interest that can be gained out of control of, of, of the place. Never I was ever going to think that I would be making a dress and it was going to be Cayenne and she was going to be there in the Miss World Panda and she was going to win. So um, basically, yes, I cried loads. <laughs> We're punching above our weight, massively, you know, it's, just, it's like everything. You look at the Gibraltar Football Association, the same thing, you, talk, you cannot, again, wear a pool of 30,000 people and you can only pick your team from 30,000 people. So then you go to UK and there are millions of people there. But to be up at the same level, I think, is amazing. Everybody was rather excited about the whole thing, obviously, especially because it was a Bond movie. Um, and you know what we're like in Gibraltar, we're very proud when, whenever our rock is used for anything. So everybody was very excited. I think everybody felt a little bit like a star and it's great fun to be on the other side of the cameras. I say it's a microclimate within a microclimate. A microclimate is when you get small changes in a short space. And, you know, Gibraltar itself, we know, is very different from, like, Spain. It never gets quite as hot as nearby Spain or Morocco. Never gets quite as cold in the winter. There's only been one time that there's ever been an air frost that's been recorded. I arrived here and I looked at uh, Marina Bay and I went, ah, now that's where my, the, the, the murderous yacht is moored. And that's where that so-and-so flat over in Neptune House. And that's the wrong way. And that's where the chase takes place. So it's wonderful. and welcome to episode 10 of the Gibraltar Stories podcast. In this week's episode, the focus is on language. Spend a few moments in any public space in Gibraltar and you will no doubt hear a variety of languages being spoken. You'll most probably hear Spanish and English as the most frequent languages, along with the native languages of people who've come to the rock to live and work or to spend a holiday. But if you listen a little bit closer to that Spanish, it may not actually be Spanish you're hearing. It could be Janito, the dialect of Gibraltar. It's an amalgamation of Andalusian Spanish, English, Genoese, Maltese and North African Arabic. 
The dialect, much like the population of Gibraltar, is a blend of the cultures and nationalities which have come together to form the Gibraltar we see today. However, English, Janito and Spanish aren't the only languages which have been spoken here over the centuries, as Dale Boutigig, a languages teacher, explains. In order to understand uh, modern Gibraltar, it is very important to understand how Gibraltar has developed. Uh, in the 1700s, uh, most of the population in Gibraltar was uh, comprised of two main ethnic groups, so the Genoese and the uh, Jews from North Africa. Uh, the Genoese spoke... Genoese, which is a Gallo-Italic language, which is spoken in the north of Italy. So it has features which resemble Italian and other features which resemble French. And the uh, Jews from North Africa spoke Haketia, which is medieval Spanish with a lot of influences from uh, Arabic and Hebrew. So those were the two major languages in Gibraltar in the 1700s, apart from Portuguese, Catalan and other languages which were spoken by other ethnic groups present here. Um, however, during the 1800s, Andalusian Spanish became more important as it was the lingua franca of the region. People had to know Spanish in order to be able to communicate with their neighbours in Spain and to conduct business. So. Over the course of the 1800s, heritage languages, as I call them, started to fall into disuse and Andalusian Spanish became the language of Gibraltar towards the end of the 1800s. At that same time, Maltese immigrants came to Gibraltar, so in 1880 more or less. Um, so in Gibraltar there was a great number of Maltese immigrants who spoke Maltese. However, at that time Maltese was not considered a prestigious language in Malta. It was uh, the third language of Malta after Italian English. So people felt very embarrassed to speak Maltese. So Maltese practically died out very quickly in Gibraltar because parents did not want to transmit that language to their children because they thought it was not useful. Yeah? So um, then in the 20th century, English started to become even more important in Gibraltar and there was a competition between Andalusian Spanish and English. And obviously when people were evacuated in 1939, uh, the majority of Gibraltarians for the first time were, you know, they had contact with the English language. I'd say about 80-90% of all in, um, evacuees were taken to the UK. So. Many of the women and children who went there had no idea of English, so they couldn't even communicate. So they had to learn English there as a colloquial language. So, and obviously they were in English schools, or they were taught in English at least. And then when they came back to Gibraltar in 1945, or post-1945, the education system in Gibraltar was completely changed, and uh, teaching, or the school was uh, English immersion. So people were taught in English and in Eng everything was in English, practically. So that made English the language of prestige in Gibraltar and then Andalusian Spanish became, or Janito, you could say, became the low language, yeah? So the colloquial language, the language spoken in, you know, amongst family members, friends and informal situations. At that time, as English became more important and Andalusian Spanish, or at least the Andalusian Spanish spoken in Gibraltar, was heavily influenced by the heritage languages I previously mentioned. 
So English started influencing that Andalusian base with obviously those influences from other languages and that morphed or changed, evolved into what is modern Janito now, which is not recognizable to a Spanish person and it's not recognizable to an English person. So um, the language is a, well at least I describe it as a Andalusian base with strong influences from heritage languages and a very important ad straight influence from English. So that translates into most colloquial words will come from Andalusian Spanish or heritage languages and words which are important, which are formal, are taken from English. So for example, if a Gibraltarian is speaking in Janito about technology, the uh, grammar will be a Romance grammar, a Latin grammar, but with obviously English vocabulary. So no one would say the word for printer in Spanish or scanner or printing, so verbs, nouns, everything will come from English. However, if they're speaking about, I don't know, a kitchen or cooking, something like that, the vocabulary will come mainly from Andalusian Spanish and the heritage languages. So it really depends on the situation. This is very similar to many other languages which have been in contact with other languages over history. One of the examples I always like to mention is Maltese, for example. Maltese is an Arabic-based language. So colloquial language or more vernacular language, basic words will come from Northern African Arabic. So that's the base. But anything which is formal, serious, or, you know, savant words, so words which uh, pertain to government education, will be taken from Italian or English. So it is a frequent or a normal thing in language evolution or language change for languages to adopt new words. Some languages adopt it from their, I don't know, parent language. For example, Spanish adopts it from Latin, or historically has done it from Latin. French has done the same and Italian has done the same. However, in the Gibraltarian context, Spanish has been, or under the student Spanish, and the heritage languages have been the low language and the high language has been English. So it's obvious and normal for important words or new words to be taken from the prestigious language. So it is an interesting story of linguistic evolution, which many people don't realize that that has happened, but it is, it is so interesting and so not unique, but it we have been witness, or Gibraltar has been witness to the creation or the uh, birth of a new language due to uh, contact between cultures and different languages over time. So we're very lucky to have this particular language which is unique to Gibraltar. Well, it's certainly, for somebody arriving in Gibraltar for the yeah. first time, it's quite mind-boggling to, to hear people walking up Main Street talking in what you might assume to the untrained ear is Spanish yeah. and then suddenly you'll hear swimming lesson, washing yeah. machine, yeah. like you said, technical yeah. language and things like that yeah. just dropped in. Yeah. Um, it, it's really quite something to hear. Yeah, it is very, very interesting and um, I guess as a Gibraltarian you don't even notice because obviously people are used to hearing about Spanglish in the US however that's a different concept. In the US they might speak for a minute in English and a minute in Spanish. They might not mix both languages. So they are conscious they're using English and they're conscious they're using Spanish. However, in the case of Janito, they have been uh, integrated. So when that integration occurs, it becomes something completely different because you don't 
you don't even have to think about it. It's not anything you're doing on purpose. It's just what is. Yeah. I think certainly for, for somebody coming in from the outside, yeah. it certainly helped me learn Spanish quicker, I think, because you can identify, you can get the gist of sentences a lot quicker because there are little bits of English shoehorned in between exactly. and you can kind of join the dots so I can say it certainly was an advantage to me <laughs> yeah and that same case or that same example I've I for example I started learning Maltese a few years ago so um, the Arabic base was the difficult part but as I already knew Italian and English I knew all the technical words I just had to learn those words which were less technical or more colloquial so I could speak it was a it's a very strange um, situation where you can speak in the formal language very you know practically perfectly but then in a colloquial normal easy sentence you wouldn't be able to communicate so it is uh, it really depends on your level of Spanish or your level of English or whatever language you're studying or learning yeah now, certainly locally, aside yeah. from Brexit, one yeah. big topic on social media has yeah. been bilingualism yeah. and the fact that it appears to be on the decline. Yeah. Why is that? Well, I think um, over the years, as, uh, as I've previously mentioned, um, English has been the prestige language. So usually in societies where a language is considered superior, over time people tend to shift towards that language. So, in, in order to preserve Gibraltarian multilingualism, it is very important to give other languages it, their prestige, give them a place in society so that people see them as prestigious as English. So, that will change the perception towards languages and accessing those languages will be easier. So... In this case, obviously, for a language to remain uh, uh, vibrant in a society, people have to speak it. So my ad advice to people is just speak those languages. The more languages you know, the better. Your mind will be, I don't know, you'll, you'll, your mind will be more elastic, you'll be able to do things better, um, you'll be able to communicate with more people, and obviously you'll have access to more, you know, more cultures or you can have access to many different countries for example English and Spanish are the two major languages in the world so if you know English you've got a great access to the global market if you know Spanish you also got a great access to the global market and if you know Janito you've got access to Gibraltarian history and what Gibraltar represents so I think it's a very nice um, you know combination of languages this is very similar to the situation for example in Luxembourg in Luxembourg they have a fantastic multilingual system where uh, three language they have three official languages so um, they got Luxembourgish French and German Luxembourgish is taught in primary school so it is the language of education at primary level then they go on to German at middle school and then secondary school is mainly in French so when students leave school, when they finish school, they've got a really high competence in three languages. And apart from that, they are obliged or they are not, I wouldn't say forced, but it's, they have to learn English. Yeah? So they have to learn English from when they start school until the end of uh, their education, you know, at the age of 16, 17 or 18, whenever they decide to leave school and then if they are from an immigrant background they are also taught their immigrant background 
language. So if they're from an Italian background, they'll be taught Italian. And if they're from a Portuguese background, they'll be taught Portuguese. So many people from Luxembourg, when they finish school, they know five languages or even six languages. And this is normal for them. It is nothing spectacular. So, but society is also organized in a way where people can use all those languages. So certain sectors of society are mainly in German, others are mainly in French, and others are mainly in Luxembourgish. So people have to use languages all the time. So society is designed for the population and designed for linguistic vitality. And I think that is a model that Gibraltar could adopt. Luxembourg is a small country, Gibraltar is a small country. So there's some parallels there. They have three different form or three languages in use. Gibraltar also has a variety of languages in use. So that could be implemented here. So I think that would be a good suggestion, a good uh, uh, starting point to look towards other countries and see what they are doing to preserve their own languages. Well, certainly, coming from a background of being English, where we've heard in the news very recently that very few children in state education are taking up languages nowadays, even at GCSE level. It's, you know, when I grew up, we'd only go abroad once in a blue moon when we could afford it. We didn't have access to another country. In Gibraltar, Spain is literally on the doorstep, and it seems such a shame not to take advantage of, uh, you know, certainly linguistically being so close you can just pop over and you know ha- have half an hour over there whereas certainly for other places in the world it's much harder to be exposed to to other languages exactly um in gibraltar we are in a very privileged location linguistically um we've got a spanish-speaking neighbor and then we've got an arabic-speaking neighbor and not only arabic they speak arabic uh, berber languages and french So it is a very interesting area linguistically and I think we should take advantage of the linguistic uh, diversity we are surrounded by. So uh, I think it's our responsibility as a society, as a country, to uh, um, try and preserve languages as it's part of our multicultural past and multicultural present. So if Gibraltar wants to continue calling itself multilingual, multicultural, then we have to preserve our languages and use them in society because that is one of the uh, most uh, evident and uh, the first thing you can identify as multicultural or multilingual is listening to people. If everyone spoke the same or spoke the same language or if Gibraltar was monolingual, then that multicultural element would fade away because everyone would be looking towards you know the same um, I don't know, have the same vision, same viewpoint, whereas different languages provide different viewpoints or different ways of seeing the world. So I think it's essential to promote multilingualism, not only just bilingualism, but multilingualism, as is being done around the world at the moment. What do you think is the key then? Is it schools? Is that the way to do it? Um, school Schooling is one element. So... Um, providing or allowing schools to dedicate more time to language teaching is fundamental. And at the same time, investing in teaching languages. Because in the modern world or the modern context we're in, learning with a textbook sometimes is detrimental. And especially when it comes to languages. Languages are living things. So they're not stuck in a book. 
languages are more than a dictionary and a grammar. You have to be able to use the language in context. You have to be able to listen to the language in context and be able to interact with the language so that you see that the language is useful. And obviously, as a student, when you're learning a language and you notice that you can speak and you can understand, that gives you encouragement to continue learning the language. So education is important, but at the same time, languages have to be taught in a different way in order for for children or for you know society in general to see the utility the usefulness of learning languages not so long ago it was pretty much in gibraltar just spanish or janito yeah. and english but yeah. i believe there was there was one little pocket where a different language was spoken yes um, towards the end of the 18 uh, sorry 19th century an italian diplomat came to Gibraltar and he visited or Main Street or at least anything, everything within the city walls at that time. And then he had a day trip to uh, Catalan Bay. However, when he got to Catalan Bay, he noticed that people were not speaking either, were not speaking English, they were not speaking Spanish, they were not speaking Judeo-Spanish, they weren't speaking any language which was spoken in the main area of Gibraltar, so in the, the main town. And he was from the north of Italy. So he spoke a variant of Genoese so because he was from Nice which at the time was part of the uh, Italian kingdom so it was a part of the kingdom of Italy and he spoke to the people there and he said well what language are you speaking and they said well we're speaking Genoese and they said well were you born in Genoa he said no I was born here in Catalan Bay however uh, this small fishing village was completely secluded from the rest of Gibraltar. There was no roads, so if the tide was very high, people could not access Catalan Bay. So people were forced to, you know, stay there. You know, if the weather was bad, you had to live there, work there, and everything else. So even Spanish women who married into Genoese families had to learn Genoese to function in society. So he said, this was in 1870-something, uh, he said everyone at Catalan Bay spoke Genoese. So from the youngest people, from the you know, children to the oldest people in the, in the village. However, this started to change in the, big, you know, in the 20th century when they did build a road. So they built a road from you know, the center of Gibraltar to Catalan Bay. So people in Catalan Bay had contact with the people from the main you know, town center of Gibraltar. So they started abandoning their Genoese language because I guess this is just a my theory they thought it was not as useful because they had to know at least Andalusian Spanish to be able to function in society so the language started dying out and the last speakers of Genoese at Catalan Bay according to several sources died in the 1970s however it is a very very big shame that no one recorded them because um, there are some people in Catalan Bay who still remember certain phrases or remember family members who spoke Genoese. And there was an Italian uh, academic who came to Gibraltar and recorded some of these people's recollections of certain words, phrases, but the language as such has completely disappeared and no one has any recordings or anything 
about you know no one speaking the language fluently which is a big shame that that language died and you know if everyone spoke it in 1870 and then after the second world war you'd say a, a minority of people spoke it so within 50 60 years it went from maybe 500 speakers to to five six ten so it's a rapid language change so um, that's an unfortunate situation really I guess that just goes to show how important it is to, exactly. to preserve languages. Exactly. So, for example, in Gibraltar, uh, according to sources, every well government um, announcement or anything official which was produced in Gibraltar was uh, uh, written in English, Spanish, and it says Italian. I don't know whether it is Italian or Genoese, because at the time Italian was not really a language which was used. Italy did not exist until 1861. So if you know official announcements in Gibraltar were in English, Spanish and an Italian language until 1834, uh, I guess it was Genoese or an Italianized version of Genoese. I don't know whether that exists somewhere in Gibraltar that it might be in the uh, Heritage uh, Library or in the uh, Garrison Library um, there might be some sources of Genoese there which people have not discovered and someone has to discover and see how people spoke or wrote during that period of time so it would be very interesting if someone could discover something in Genoese because it's part of Gibraltarian linguistic heritage. My sincere thanks to Dale for explaining both the history of the languages spoken in Gibraltar and how things stand at the moment. I'd never realised that so recently Catalan Bay was effectively cut off from the rest of Gibraltar, creating a community which spoke a different language to the rest of the population. You really wouldn't expect that to happen within such a small place. Thanks to you two for listening and a warm welcome to any new listeners who are tuning in. It's great to have you along. You can subscribe to Gibraltar Stories on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. That means you won't miss out on any future episodes. And if you'd be kind enough to leave a review and rate the podcast, that means that more people will be able to find it in future. And let me know what you think about the podcast so far using the hashtag Gibraltar Stories. Perhaps you have a Gibraltar story that you'd like to share. If so, please do get in touch with me through the Gibraltar Stories Facebook page, Twitter or Instagram, or send me an email to gibraltarstories at gmail.com. I'll be back again next week with another Gibraltar story for you. Until then, bye for now and thanks for listening. <laughs>